The Bible reading this morning will be from 1 Samuel, chapter 3, right from verse 1. 1 Samuel, chapter 3, verse 1. And it says in my Bible, the Lord calls Samuel. That's the time. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his place. The lamp of God was not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God is. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But he said, I did not call you, lay down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son, lay down again. Now Samuel did not know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again and said to him, and he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood calling, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel, at which the two ears of everyone who hears it shall tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore, swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more. Also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew. And the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as the prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines, then camped at Ebenezer, 
and its Philistines encamped at Aphek. Well, thank you, Hetty, for, uh, for leading us in that Bible reading. I uh, really do want to encourage you to keep your Bible open here at 1 Samuel chapter 3. Uh, as you're quite aware, we're in the middle of the series uh, looking at the life and ministry of Samuel uh, here from the opening chapters of 1 Samuel. Uh, in the church email a couple of days ago, you should have received uh, some links to some sermon outlines, uh, some kids sheets, and also some Sunday school material. And a reminder that that Sunday school material goes along with the kids talks uh, that are happening during our Sunday services at the moment. And the sermon outlines hopefully will help you follow along and maybe give you a few things to think about for afterwards, a few uh, discussion questions for yourself or for your family or to use in your growth group. Now, as uh, many of us have noticed, uh, as I've grown older, uh, not old, but, but older, um, we notice things changing about our body. And one of those things that I've really noticed and has really annoyed me uh, is my eyesight. Uh, over time, it's just gotten worse. And so originally, I found myself about 15 years ago uh, getting glasses, which I would only ever need for reading, uh, or so I believe. Um, and then over time, I found that those glasses have somehow needed to get stronger. Uh, I found that I've needed them for more and more things. Uh, and somehow I've needed larger fonts uh, in my Bible, in books, uh, on papers that I write. One of the places that I've really noticed lately where I struggle to see as well as I used to is in low light. I don't know about you, if you've ever done this, but I find myself walking to into a room um, and everybody seems to be seeing fine, uh, but it's like I'm stumbling around in the dark. And because I refuse to admit that I need to wear my glasses all of the time, uh, off I go looking for a light switch. And so I find myself in this kind of awkward position when it comes to lights uh, in our house. Uh, I, like maybe other dads, uh, find myself constantly turning off lights uh, to save some power, uh, but yet also turning lights on so I can actually see what is happening in a room. Well, as I said, today we're continuing on in the book of 1 Samuel, where we're looking at the life and ministry uh, of this man. And today, really, for the first time, we are going to meet Samuel. Uh, really, he's been a side player in the story so far, as it is focused mostly on Hannah and on Eli and his sons. And Samuel, up until this point, has been very young. But today, he's finally growing up, and he's going to come to the fore of the story. And as that happens, we really introduced into a time not of physical dimness, but of spiritual dimness. We find ourselves in a time where people are struggling to see, not because they simply to wear, wear their bifocals or they don't have enough lamps burning, but a time of spiritual dimness. We're gonna see how the Lord, uh, through the calling and establishing of Samuel as a prophet, how the Lord addresses the spiritual dimness for the sake of his people and how he continues to do that today uh, in us, in our church, and in the world. Now, if you have a look at the start here, chapter 3, verse 1, uh, we have another one of these little summaries about the ongoing growth and development of Samuel. This is actually the sixth such summary in one and a half chapters. And the seventh and final one comes at the end of chapter three here. And it tells us that the boy Samuel was ministering 
to the Lord in the presence of Eli. But then at the same time, we get a little snapshot of the spiritual condition of God's people at this time. It says, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Already we've seen something of the spiritual condition, haven't we, of Israel? At the end of Judges, there was, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Uh, we've seen the spiritual condition of the priests of Eli and his sons who, who did not know the Lord. And here we see another issue, and maybe it's the key issue that leads to all these others. The word of the Lord is rare. There are no visions or infrequent visions, and visions is one of the ways that the Lord communicates his word at this time to his people. Those visions are rare. Now, it's interesting that straight after the statement, we get two, two other statements actually about seeing and about light. In verse 2, we read that Eli's uh, eyesight had grown dim. Uh, he's struggling to see physically, and this is probably a fair summary of his spiritual condition as well. And then we find Samuel uh, lying in the temple uh, where the lamp of the Lord has not yet gone out, it says. Uh, this was most likely the lamp that was to burn from sundown to sun up uh, in the presence of the Lord. Um, but we're not just giving a time of the day, so it's, it's very early in the morning because it's not yet going out, but we're also uh, getting something of the spiritual condition. The light in Israel is growing dim. It's dim in Eli, uh, it's non-existent in his sons, and it's dim because the word of the Lord is rare. People are stumbling around without light, or at the very best, in dim light. People don't know the Lord. People's lives aren't focused on him. People are struggling with sin and obedience. And I think that this is something uh, that all of us can relate to. Sometimes this is us, isn't it? Uh, maybe for some of us, that's, that's the case at the moment. We feel spiritually dim. We're not drawing near to the Lord, as, as Murray read from, from Isaiah this morning. We feel distant from him, and we have a sense that his living presence is not a reality with us. We struggle to prioritize him, to listen to him, to live for him, to have him shape our hearts and our, our minds and our desires. We struggle to live in faithfulness and obedience to him. And I wonder when we reflect on those times and we think about what causes them, uh, we see that what runs true here for Israel runs true for us too. Uh, the word of the Lord is rare in our lives. We sense spiritual dimness because the light of the word is not shining brightly in our minds and in our hearts. Sometimes this has been the state of the church as a whole also. Think about times in the history of the church when the church has really struggled, when it's been unfaithful, 
when it's prioritized the wrong things, when it's taught what is false and failed to, to nurture and care for and disciple those in its care, when it's been corrupted in its teaching and its leadership and in its doing, what has been the cause? It's because the word of God has been relegated from its central place. The word of the Lord has been undermined. Its question, its validity has been questioned. It's been removed from the center of the life and the ministry of its church. And sadly, the same can still be seen today. We see segments of the church universal. Some cases, individual churches, some cases in whole denominations who've lost the gospel word, who've accepted things that dishonor God, who've lost their way. And almost always, and maybe I can be bold enough to say, well, maybe always, it can be traced back to the undermining of the place and the authority of the word of God. Now, it's in this context now that we read what happens on this one particular night. We're into this spiritual dimness. The Lord steps and he calls a young boy named Samuel. Now, this is, this is a wonderful story, isn't it? Even as I read and reread the story again this last week, I was struck. Uh, by how incredibly it sucks you in. It's so well written, how gripping it is. If you attended Sunday school as a kid in a church at any point, I'm sure you heard the story on more than one occasion. Uh, it's a favorite of many. But it's more than just a really good story. It's the story of the Lord stepping in and reviving his spiritually dim people. Now, one of the key features of the story, as it's told here, is repetition, isn't it? Uh, there's a repetition of the Lord calling to Samuel. Uh, four times we go through an almost identical cycle. And even though Samuel doesn't seem to understand what's happening, for at least the first three and a half of those, uh, the Lord is wonderfully patient with him. He doesn't get frustrated. Uh, God doesn't give up on Samuel. He doesn't say, hey, Hey, Dimwit, pick up. Uh, he's persistent uh, in getting his man or, or getting his boy. But there's another repetition here too, isn't there? I wonder if you noticed it. It's a repetition of a word. Uh, it's the word called. Uh, God called to Samuel. Uh, Samuel says to Eli, why did you call me? Uh, Eli says, I didn't call you. Uh, it's packed in 11 times uh, in seven verses. Samuel is being called. He's being called by the Lord to bring his word to his people. God is addressing the spiritual dimness of his people by bringing his word to Samuel and through Samuel to them. And that actually starts with God addressing Samuel's own spiritual condition. Now, I want to pick up on just a little comment that is made here in verse 7. I don't remember reading this one when I was in Sunday school, and I'm sure it was there at the time. But in verse 7, of the second repetition, we had this little statement. It says, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, 
and the word of the Lord had not yet been, been revealed to him. Now, we've had part of that statement before here in the book of 1 Samuel. It was actually about Eli's son, Hophni and Finisley. They did not know the Lord, but there's two differences here yet. The first is the little word, yet. Samuel did not yet know. And there's a second reason, a second difference. A reason is given. The word had not yet been revealed to him. And so God starts here reviving his people with Samuel and revealing his word to him. Now, of course, Samuel's role and the calling that he receives is absolutely unique. He has a unique role in, in the history of God's dealing with his people and the history of God's kingdom uh, to be a prophet, God's mouthpiece. But this is not just the story of Samuel's commissioning. It's actually the story of his conversion. Samuel himself hears and responds to the word of God. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that we get that little comment because, because Samuel has, has served in the temple. He's served the Lord. We've had all of these wonderful statements about the way he's growing up. He's, he's growing in favor with, with men. He's growing in favor with God. All of these things seem wonderful and they're going well, but he doesn't yet know the Lord. He hasn't received it. But now he does. God calls to him and Samuel responds. Now, as I said, his calling to be a prophet is unique and the circumstances of that calling are unique also. Uh, we should not expect an audible voice. We shouldn't demand it and we shouldn't, we shouldn't expect it. But there is something important to note here about Samuel's conversion. Because in some ways, the same is true for us. The Lord gives us his word and we too must respond. Now, I want to address just for a moment, uh, maybe some of the younger people here. Uh, particularly young people who have grown up in the church and in Christian families. There, there are many wonderful blessings in growing up the way that you have. Uh, growing up in, in a church, growing up in a Christian family, uh, like Samuel, we, we grow up in, in a sense in the presence of God. Uh, by placing you in a Christian family, God has, has blessed you abundantly. He's blessed you richly. You know, we get to see the gospel lived out. We have examples, not, not perfect examples, but living examples of people who are seeking to follow the Lord Jesus and honor him with their lives. We, we hear the Bible. Uh, we hear it taught even more than Samuel did. But with all these wonderful blessings, there, there is also a danger. And that danger is that we might just assume that we have become a follower of Jesus without actually responding to the gospel word, to the Lord himself. We might assume that just because our parents go to church, we go to church or watch it online, that we're a Christian. Keith Green, the singer, once famously said that going to church makes you no more a Christian uh, then going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. 
You see, the Lord calls out to us too, not to be a prophet, but to follow him, to hear the gospel word and to respond, to repent and believe, to turn away from our sin and to turn to following Christ. From time to time, it's our duty as a church to challenge and to ask, have you done this? Have you done this yet? We long for this. We pray for this. Your, your parents have been praying for this from before you were even born. Your parents have invested in you and shared the gospel with you and encouraged you and got you involved in church life so that the Lord might do this. We have ministries to encourage you. Maybe it is time for you to respond. Maybe you have already. Uh, and if you have, so that, that, is, that is wonderful. We're so thankful to God for that. But maybe you've been putting it off. And we really need to challenge you. Do you need to put it off any longer? You see, God has wonderfully given you everything that you need to be saved, to be forgiven, to be a part of his kingdom. He's given you everything in the Lord Jesus. He's given you uh, his perfect life uh, lived in our place. He's, he's given us his death on the cross, suffering for our sin. He, he, he's been raised to a new life so that we might be raised with him. It's time to hear him call you uh, and to respond to him. Now, that comment was uh, at the end of the second repeat. Uh, if we move on now to the third repeat, uh, we notice that there is something different again at the end of it. You see, finally, uh, on the third repeat, as, as Samuel goes back to Eli, uh, something different happens. Eli's uh, eyes might have grown dim. Uh, his spiritual life might have been dim as well, but the Lord still uses him. Eli perceives that it is the Lord calling Samuel. And he says, so Samuel, next time you hear that voice, say to him, uh, Lord, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. He says that now it's time to, for you to respond when God calls to you. But now, and it does happen, this time you notice on the fourth response, things ratchet up. The Lord, verse 10, comes and stood. Now, we don't know how the Lord does this, but, but we know that he does. He comes and he stands. And he calls out as he has the other times, Samuel, Samuel. This time he repeats his name. We'll come back to that uh, in a moment. And Samuel answers, not quite, though, as Eli had told him. He says, speak for your servant hears. He, he misses the word Lord. Uh, this is tentative steps of faith. And the Lord speaks to Samuel and he gives him his word. Now, that is a, that is a very hard word that he gives him. Uh, one that we looked at last week. Basically, the message that the unnamed prophet gave to Eli uh, in chapter 2 uh, is now given to Samuel. It's that God will bring judgment on Eli and on Eli's house. That's the word that he has received and is now the word that he must speak. Well, after that, we can imagine that Samuel doesn't sleep a week after what he's been told. 
And we're told there that he, he lies there until morning. There's no, there's no suggestion that he went back to sleep. And then afterwards he gets up and he does his chores, but he is obviously nervous. He does not want to tell Eli what he's been told. Again, this is tentative steps of faith. But Eli insists, uh, and Samuel tells him, and Eli affirms what has happened. He says, it is the Lord. It's a confirmation to Samuel. Hey, the Lord himself has called you and given you his word. You see, something really significant is happening here. More than just something for Samuel and more than just something for a few people at this time. Remember how we noted that the repetition of Samuel's name here in this fourth call? That's meant to remind us of another calling. The calling of Moses at the burning bush. Where the Lord calls out, Moses, Moses. Samuel is being called in a similar way to what Moses was. Moses, who will go on to lead God's people, be used by, used by God to bring them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, and who would go up on the mountain to receive the word of God, the commandments of God, and bring them down to the people, who was commanded to tell the people exactly what God had told him. Now, at the end of Moses' life and at his ministry, he spoke to the people again, and he made a promise. The promise is in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18, and it says, this is from God, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and that he shall speak in my name to them everything that I command him. You see what's happening here? God is fulfilling that promise. He's raising up another prophet, just like Moses. Uh, he's speaking his word so that he might lead and bless and restore his people. How can we be sure that Samuel is that? How can we be sure that God is speaking to him? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, it, it gave a qualification for who's going to be a, a prophet. It said, Whatever, whoever's words come true is a true prophet of God. How, how can you tell if a prophet is genuine? Well, what they say happens. Next chapter, next week, it happens. That judgment comes. Samuel is established as a prophet of God. Now, at the end of this chapter, there are four statements uh, really to that effect. Uh, it tells us that Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. None of his words fell to the ground. Uh, all Israel knew that Samuel was established as a prophet. Uh, the Lord appeared to him again, verse 21 at Shiloh. The Lord revealed himself to him by the word of the Lord. And chapter 4, verse 1, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. The Lord is speaking again. 
He is reviving his dim people through his prophet. But in a sense, Samuel isn't the final fulfillment of what God promises people through Moses. He too was standing in a long line of prophets. Samuel is really in, in a sway the start of the prophetic, ongoing prophetic role in Israel, through whom the Lord will speak and bring light in darkness. A prophetic line that runs all the way through to the Lord Jesus. I can't believe how many times in this series we've, we've already gone uh, to the book of Hebrews. Uh, it's just really incredible, but we're going to go there again. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 says, Long ago and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. How can we be sure that God speaks through his son? How can we be sure that the Lord Jesus is indeed the one who brings God's word and through it brings life to his people. Well, his word has been established. What he said would happen has happened. He said he would be killed and he was killed. He said he would be raised on the third day and he was raised. He said that he would send his spirit and his spirit came. He said that he would establish his church, and his church has been established. He is the one we listen to and whose word we can trust. We have the word of God through him, and we can receive that word with great confidence. In a time when we have so much uncertainty, when we feel like we have so little confidence, when the illusion of control has been taken away from us, Jesus and his word stands firm. And in receiving that word, the Lord brings light to his people. He shines in spiritually dim lives and he revives and he restores. Now, things don't change immediately here in Israel. Things are going to be a little dark for a few chapters yet. Over the next three chapters, uh, which we're going to dive into a little bit next week, uh, things are going to get pretty dim again. But now there is more than a glimmer of hope. The light has returned. The word of the Lord is no longer rare. People are hearing and receiving God's word of truth. And when we get to chapter seven in a couple of weeks time, we're going to see a, a, a mini revival happening in Israel. And this is where it started. The word of the Lord no longer being rare. The prophet raised and the people receiving the word. What's the, what's the hope uh, for our world today? It seems so very bleak, doesn't it? It seems to be in many ways so hopeless. Well, it's the word of the Lord. Jesus himself made known through the word. 
his people proclaiming the gospel word in a time of great darkness so that the light of Christ might shine brightly. Our world's hope is, is not an economic revival and, and, and businesses thriving. Our world's hope is not in governments. It's not in social cohesion or tolerance or agreed climate targets. All of these things may, may be good, but they're not our hope. The hope of our world is the gospel of the Lord Jesus, the one who shines into dark hearts who causes people to see their sin and graciously see and respond to a wonderful Savior. What's the hope for our church? How will things change? How will a disjointed community be united again? How will our relationships with one another be built and strengthened? How will our ministries be strengthened? Well, it starts as God's work has always started in his church. With his word, front and center, faithfully proclaimed and bringing light into spiritually dim lives. It happens as we preach his word, as we teach his word, as we speak the word to one another in our growth groups and, and in conversations. That's how the Lord will be at work. Over the last 19 months, we've, we've missed a lot. But one of the things that we have strived so very hard to keep going, as unhindered as possible, is the ministry of the word. Whether it be preached on Sundays or taught in, in growth groups or in youth and children's ministries, when it's been uh, spoken the word uh, to one another in our growth groups, we try to make that a priority because through his word, the Lord strengthens his people. We look at revivals that have happened throughout history. Uh, when the church has gone from darkness to light, there is, there is a common factor that runs through it. The faithful teaching and preaching of the word of God. How are our own lives going to go from spiritual dimness to spiritual light? There's really only one answer. A return to the life and light-giving word of the Lord. When we sit under the preaching of it and we hear it and we receive it. When we hear it taught, when we speak it to one another, when we spend time in reading it and meditating on it for ourselves. The Lord brings light into dim lives. He draws us close, to, to use the words of Isaiah 55. It, it accomplishes its purposes uh, in bringing life to us. He refreshes our hearts. He renews our minds. He gives us a sense of his presence and turns our attention to him let's pray to him now and let's ask for the pray for that work lord god we thank you so much for the gracious and wonderful way that you work to revive spiritually dim lives and spiritually dim churches 
Uh, thank you, Heavenly Father, for the powerful way that you work through your word, through the, through the word incarnate, the Lord Jesus, uh, for his life in our place, his death in our place, for the forgiveness that is found in him, and for the way, Lord, that your gospel word brings light to our lives and strengthens us and encourages us. Lord, as we've already prayed today, uh, make us people of your word, people who love your word, who delight in it, who spend time in it, who know and experience its power day by day. And we ask this, Lord, so that you might draw us close. You might turn our hearts to you for Jesus' sake. Amen.